Welcome to Get Up in the Cool, old-time music with Cameron DeWitt and friends. This week's friends are Kathy Fink and Marcy Markser. We recorded this a couple weeks ago at my home in Portland, Oregon. I want to thank Elderly Instruments in Lansing, Michigan for sharing Get Up in the Cool online with their customers and increasing the reach of the show. Next time you need an instrument upgrade or new music gear, visit their online store at elderly.com. Jake Blunt and I are starting our Northeast tour tomorrow in D.C. We're playing every night through next Thursday, April 25th, making our way all the way up to Portland, Maine. So check out our tour schedule in the show notes on your podcast app or this episode's Facebook post and RSVP through one of the links and invite all your friends, please. Stick around afterwards and I'll tell you how you can keep up with this week's amazing guests. But first, here's my interview and jam with Kathy Fink and Marcy Markser. Enjoy. Thank you. 
Kathy Fink, Marcy Markser, welcome to Get Up in the Cool. Thank you. This is great. And welcome back to Portland. We're happy to be cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're happy to be hanging out with the cool camera and Oh, thank you. <laughs> no, stop. <laughs> yeah. um, so I first heard about you, Kathy, from Jane Rothfield because I was listening to her albums when I was new to hearing old time music and I was very interested in new tunes and I first heard your banjo playing I think in the I fiddle the banjo yes I'm on that yeah <laughs> and I was like who is this this is incredible <laughs> I was so impressed and then um more recent I think we met for the first time this last summer at Clifftop that's right because uh we competed against each other in the <laughs> Clifftop banjo finals and um I was feeling pretty good, and then I saw you play, and I it was one of the, one of the most humbling experiences I've had <laughs> playing all-time music and playing banjo in a very, very good way, because uh, I, I could not believe your freedom on the instrument and um, how tasteful everything was, and I, I just, I've never heard anyone play like that before. It was... You totally blew me and everyone else out in the competition. <laughs> and it was stiff. There were some amazing players there. and That was so, a great contest, and every player was fantastic. Which, to me, is the fun part of contests, is hearing other people. You know, Clifftop, probably about 12, 13 years ago, that's where I met Adam Hurt. We've mm. become good friends. Um Every time I get to go to Clifftop, to me, one of the fun things is hearing not just jamming with people all over the place, but hearing all of the players in the competition. And I'm always going to hear somebody new whose music I really love, which included you. Thank you. Yeah, there's so many, uh, there's so many good musicians <laughs> that go there. <laughs> and every year, it's like new people up there on, on the stage. And yeah. So that is where we met. Uh, I believe this is our first time meeting it's today. It's first yes. time. Yes, I wasn't there. <laughs> yeah. I sometimes, you know, with the music connections, I, I, I never want to say, it's very good to meet you. And then we were like, we've met like seven times. It's, <laughs> it's like hard to keep track. You have to be our age for that to happen. Yeah. <laughs> the older I get, the more that happens. I have no But this excuse. is our first time and we both know it. So that's okay, great. Okay, great. <laughs> so um, we're playing three banjos. I think it's a get up in the cool first <laughs> to have on the show. Um, Let's just start with that. How did how did each of you get into playing the banjo? Um, for me, and this is Kathy, Kathy speaking. speaking. Yeah. Um, I was hanging out in Montreal in the early '70s, playing at a lot of the coffee houses as a student at McGill University, and I was a songwriter. But I also in Montreal in like 1972 one and two got exposed to traditional music for the first time actually in those coffee houses there were bluegrass bands even though i grew up in baltimore i'd never heard a bluegrass mm. band i'd never heard a banjo i didn't know anything about the folk music from right down the road and here were people singing freight train by elizabeth cotton and finger picking the guitar like i'd never heard mm. and um playing claw hammer banjo and all this amazing stuff and i um hooked up with a uh, another player, a fellow by the name of Duck Donald, who played mandolin and guitar, 
And we formed a duo for five years, and the focus of our duo was old-time country duets. Great. Every Blue Sky Boys, every Reno and Smiley, every Ralph, Stan Ralph and Carter Stanley duo, Bill Boyd and the Cowboy Ramblers, you name it. We were just like drinking the Kool-Aid of old-time duet singing, and it yeah. was really phenomenal. Every Delmore Brothers song, so it dug into guitar and it dug into all kinds of stuff. And... Um, I had a high school pal who was offing an old-time banjo, an old, uh, f like a Vega Folk Ranger or something for 80 bucks, and I thought, oh, what the heck, I'll just buy it. And I bought it, and I'd never, I really didn't know anything about it. Of course, I got Pete Seeger's book, yes. started learning how to play with that up-picking style that yeah. Pete did, and it was sort of neither here nor there, and I realized if I was going to play, I wanted to play Clawhammer, and I had to unlearn the up-picking because I couldn't do them both. And then um, my partner and I hitchhiked our way across Canada, and one of the places that we stopped to perform, we did a bunch of house concerts and uh, some of the finer health food restaurants in the country, mm. um, a fellow by the name of Barry Luft put on a concert for us in his home. Now, Barry in the 1960s had written Pete and said, Dear Mr. Seeger, I want to play the old-time banjo, and there are no banjo players in Calgary. What should I do? And Pete sent him his autographed copy of his How to Play the Five-String Banjo book, and Barry became quite a good banjo player. Just from that He book. gave me yeah. my first lessons. Wonderful. Now, there's this little web that you're going to be really blown away by because Barry gave me my first lessons. I gave Rhiannon Gidden her first lessons. I, that was about 25 years ago at the um, Swananoa gathering. And of course, she's learned from tons of people since. Yes. Um, but I also gave lessons to a fellow in Winnipeg named Daniel Kulak. He's a great banjo player. He was about 10 years younger than me. And so he was about 12 when I gave him lessons. Well, he ended up teaching Kaya Cater and Allison DeGroote. Oh, very good. So we've got this <laughs> sort of web thing yeah. <laughs> happening, and now they're all off doing their things and teaching. And in the meantime, I, um, I just got more and more into it, and at the time, you know, it was nothing, I, I hate to sound like a geezer, but it was nothing like today where you just throw on Spotify or some streaming thing and hear whatever you want. Sure. There was no such thing. So when we made down, yeah. trips to the U.S., we'd go to record stores, we'd find albums with banjo. I had um, the centerpiece of sort of my, um, my banjo foundation were the county records, Clawhammer banjo, more Clawhammer banjo, and there was a third album, more, more Clawhammer yeah. banjo. <laughs> then there was Art Rosenbaum's Art of the Five-String Banjo. And a couple others, well, on Art of the Five-String Banjo, he had some amazing tunings, like that F tuning that um, I play a lot in now, Adam, and Adam Hurd has played a lot yes. in it. You're playing some in it together with us. You're very adept at that tuning. It's also where I first heard Dan Gellert. And then another one of my banjo influences, uh, well, two more, really, Tommy Thompson from the Red Clay Ramblers, because we hung out and played at lots of folk festivals together. And in about 76 or 77, I met Reed Martin while we were on tour. And Reed um, was incredibly generous in his time and really fun to play music with. And I think that, you know, I soaked up stuff from all of these people, interspersed it with some of my own 
ideas and eventually also when I took up the fiddle it made me hear what I wanted to do on the banjo a little differently yeah so um, you know now it's all been going on for about 45 years yeah. and I still just totally love it and um, you play like you're having a great time <laughs> I'm having you know there's for me the banjo is a real instrument of the soul and uh, I enjoy slow banjo stuff as much as I enjoy playing a hot fiddle tune. I enjoy interesting tunings. Um, I love playing with Marcy, and we have obviously got a lot of synergy together, but I also love sort of very lonesome solo banjo stuff. Yeah. I have an arrangement of the song I'm So Lonesome I Could Cry by oh, Hank great. Williams, which I finger pick and use my Keith tuners. I'm the only old time banjo player, you know, with Keith tuners on my banjo from... <laughs> That's smart. That. <laughs> that you can tell. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I still feel like I'm just on a constant exploration mm. with this amazing instrument. And I'm constantly reaching both back to history going, oh, I need to learn exactly how Roscoe Holcomb played Roustabout. And I... I'm still listening for the ancient sounds, and at the same time, I'm composing a lot of new tunes, and I write a lot of songs with the banjo. And um, it's—I have to say—I feel like the banjo found me. Yeah. You know, we were both floating around out there, and the banjo found me. And I feel like I've been very lucky, and I try and pass that along too. Yeah, that's really neat. Um, it's uh, encouraging to hear um, a story about. Uh, a woman in the music industry <laughs> having a positive experience <laughs> and, and having good mentorship and people like being generous and teaching you things that's really cool like getting your first banjo lessons and while you're on tour and stuff like that oh absolutely and by the way Barry Luft's daughter Kara I was at Barry's house the day that she was born she's about 45 now and she's a great banjo player and she and her band the Small Glories are now being signed to Compass Records and the big career is happening yeah. and I just feel like there's this ever weaving family yeah. going on and uh, I think it's one of the things that I really love about the music. What's the most important about the music is really the people. The people who play it, the people it comes from, um, the stories that go with them. That's just an enormous gift that we get. Let's play another uh, play another song, and All then right. uh, okay. I'll ask you some questions, All Marcy. Right. <laughs> Marcy's the versatile one here. I once had a friend 
Many, one of the queens of the blues. Great guitar player, fantastic, from Memphis, of mm. course. And well, I'll tell you, look, reading about her life, if anybody deserved to have the blues, it was her. And okay. She really sang it. <laughs> okay, Kissing in the Dark. <laughs> there's something like, uh, maybe I'm reading into this too much, but there's, there's something like a little bit vaguely threatening in that song. It's like, very it, threatening, yes. Yeah, like... It, yes, it doesn't sound like you're just having fun. It's just like, oh, my friend disappeared. Yes, <laughs> it's, it's dark and disease-ridden. Oh my goodness! Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's low down. Blues on the cello banjo is perfect for that. Yeah, it yeah. sounds kind of happy unless you listen to the words really closely, and then you go, wow, wow, that's really it's deep. It's absolutely dense with meaning. It There's is. There's not that many words. No. <laughs> yeah. Cool. <laughs> cool song. <laughs> the next song she would write would be "Kissing in the Sunlight." No, no, just okay. Kidding. <laughs> then everything. Yeah. Kissing in broad daylight. Is this your first banjo that you played, or did you play before? No, it isn't my first banjo. This is the cello banjo. This yeah. is my banjo, though, and I'm the reason why they're made. Yeah. But, your name um, is inlaid in it. Yes, yeah. yes, in all of them, actually, Very that Gold good. Tone makes. But um, I was a guitar player first. I got my first guitar when I was about five years old, and I freaked out about it, took the blanket off my doll, and wrapped it around my guitar, and carried my guitar everywhere I went. Mm. And uh, but I've always loved to play with other musicians. My grandmother played barrel house blues, piano, and also hammer dulcimer. And Very her good. and her mother, who played the fiddle, used to play for Henry Ford's dances. Oh wow! Big dances, yeah. And, I've heard uh, about those. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And I think I got my first. I got my first banjo actually on a, for Christmas when I was 12 or 13, and uh, it was a five-string banjo with a resonator and finger picks in the Earl Scruggs book that said, you open it up and says, play this role a thousand times, this finger pattern. Yeah. And I did. Great. In a small house in Michigan in the winter with the windows up, you know, and yeah. one morning. Everyone was, was very familiar with your progress. Like, yes, they everyone. They got to hear every role. Yes, and I would practice in the morning before school, yeah. thinking that I would get it done and have a good, good day. And my mom came in one morning looking just terrible and she had Kleenex stuffed in her ears <laughs> and she leaned against the door her hair was sticking out you know, like she'd been pulling on it you know and yeah. she she leaned against the door and said do you love that <laughs> <laughs> and I said well yes and she what said do you love it more than the guitar and I went no because I knew that that no was the right answer. Right. You know, I did love it, but I knew that no was right. So I got home from school, and the banjo was gone. It was back to the music store. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And the next time I got a banjo, I was working at Elderly Instruments. Yeah. Uh, as a youngin', and a banjo came in that I just had to have. And it's dangerous for musicians to work in music stores. Really, because yes. your whole paycheck goes out the window really fast. It's but, a, yeah, it's a real scam. <laughs> yeah, but it was a tenor banjo uh -huh. that was completely covered. The fingerboard, the back of the neck, and the resonator completely covered in pink mother of toilet seat. Oh my goodness! I know. Can That's you a lot of work. It? I mean, it's it was worth the thirty five dollars. 
And so <laughs> I played that for quite a while. And then got into banjo ukes and banjo mandolins and now cello banjo. I mean, who can resist that? Well, you should, you should tell them what got you into cello banjo. Yeah. Oh, well, Mike Seeger, uh, who was a very dear friend of ours forever, um, wanted to do a recording project. And he brought his cello banjo, a Gibson cello banjo from the early 19-teens um, to our house to do some recording. And he wanted um, me to play banjo uke, and he was going to play five string, and Kathy was going to play the cello banjo. So she did. She played it like a bass, and I chunked along on the, you know, the, we got the tune done. It was just the way he wanted it. But there was something magical about the sound of the cello. I mean, it just drew me like a magnet. And I was looking at it probably longingly. I didn't realize. Yeah. And he handed it to me. So I started playing tunes on it. Yeah. And he just said, oh, I've never heard anybody play tunes on that. Right. I usually just use it like a bass or tune it like the four strings, the bottom four strings of a guitar. Sure. And, which would be cool also. Yeah. But I just loved it. And he, uh, he actually said, I could leave it with you for a couple of months. Something interesting might happen. Yeah. <laughs> and we put some cuts on YouTube right away. The very first night we recorded Coleman's March and some yeah. other tunes and put them on YouTube, and then I just fell in love with it. And within a week, I got a phone call from a friend who does music for National Geographic. And he said, I've got to have something nobody else has got. I said, I got it. Yeah. I've got the sound. Yeah. And he said, okay, come on over. But he didn't tell me anything about it. So I got to the studio, popped open the case, and, and he also tipped me off. He said, the, the producer's in the room, so make me look good. So I couldn't say, what are you thinking, you know? So I popped open the case and pulled out the cello banjo, and he said, oh, uh, I forgot to tell you, it's Chinese. <laughs> and so, of course, the producer was in the room, so I said, no problem. And uh, they started playing a background track, and I started going like... Sounds perfect. I know. What, yeah. what are you going to do? I mean, how, <laughs> how perfect is this? And uh, they wouldn't show me the film footage. Um, there was something embarrassing about the film footage that the engineer didn't want me to see, my friend. And finally I said, you know, it would be a lot easier to do this because he's directing me to go faster and slower and yeah. faster and slower. It would be a lot easier to do this if I could see the footage. And story? he just <laughs> said, he said no. So at the this end, this is really suspicious. I know. <laughs> it's not so bad though. Okay, it's okay. just funny, in my opinion. Okay, but I don't know about yours, and it's your show. Uh oh. No, no, this is great. No, I, this, I'll put an explicit tag if I need to. No, no. So it turned out at the end, he let me see the footage, and it was two beautiful giant Chinese panda bears oh. who had fallen in love great. and wanted to make a family. It was a show about animal husbandry that aired on National Geographic Television. And you were setting the mood. I played, I played <laughs> romance music. Yeah. I mean, doesn't this say romance? It, it certainly says panda romance. Yeah, panda. Panda They're panda adorable. They're yeah. adorable. I hear they take a lot of convincing. I, I've heard that too. Yeah. We're, we live by the National Zoo. Yeah. And they're always looking for new pandas. Man, that's a great thing to have on your resume. <laughs> good story. <laughs> Very good. Right. Well, anyway, after the videos, the, the YouTube videos were out for a while, Goldtone called and said, 
are you the girl that plays that weird banjo? Yeah. And I said, yeah. And they said, well, we've got to make those. Yeah. So now they make them. So when you said they all have your name on them, you mean all of the cello banjos that Goldtone makes yes. say Marcy Marks are on them? Well, all the four strings. All they the asked four me strings. if I wanted my name on the five strings, and I said, I'd, I'd, I'd gravitate. Well, my The four string is my machine. Yeah. Put somebody else's name on the five string. But Very cool. Yeah. So yeah, now I'm, they make the same pot. They had to make a hundred pots or round parts of the banjo in order to make it worthwhile. So they make four strings, five strings, and six strings tuned like a guitar. And it's a cool sound. And this is a 14-inch pot. It's a massive, yeah. big... Yeah. for the people at home. Yeah, big thing. Yeah, for the people <laughs> at home. Listening at home, yeah. It's Just imagine a second grader holding a regular banjo and you'll get the <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it looks about... You look like Nora Brown playing the yeah. banjo right now. Yeah. yeah, we just call it Little Marcy Marks. Yeah. <laughs> well, what should we play next? What's on the... I forget already. Well, you know, we should actually just go ahead and play Coleman's March since we were talking about Wonderful. the cello banjo. Yeah, That's perfect. Good.
of that Cameron DeWitt. <laughs> you yeah. too. So what a treat to play with you. <sighs> Actually, with the three banjos, it almost, it has kind of a little bit of the feel of that Rising Fawn Orchestra, the, uh, oh, the yeah. Norman Blake sound of not speeding up a fiddle tune and not playing it at the, you know, just, just sort of milking the melody. Yes. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that tune, uh, I kept having to it was easy to slow myself easier to slow myself down than on other slow tunes because I'm like this wants to be stretched out mm. <laughs> like taffy yeah yeah, yeah I've yeah. always I've always loved this tune but when Marcy tune. started playing the cello banjo I went oh it's just been waiting for that yeah hmm. so you've mentioned webs of sort of mentorship who's taught you and who you've taught um, that's been an important part of your story you've produced a lot of albums. For others? We have produced yeah. probably over 150 albums. That's all, um, so many. <laughs> with uh, some wonderful people, both a combination of well-known folks and, you know, folks whose music we just thought was worth getting out there. Yeah. Like Tom Paxton? We've worked a lot with Eva Tom Paxton. Um, we produced the last album with uh, Patsy Montana, who was the first woman in country music to sell a million records. Wow. Yodeling Cowgirl, uh, her big hit in 1935 was I Want to Be a Cowboy's Sweetheart. <laughs> and we toured and performed with Patsy in a Western swing band for about oh, 10 fun. years. I mean, not constantly, but yeah. whenever she was on the road and we got a chance to introduce her to some uh, folk festivals and had the privilege of doing uh, her last album with her. We also spent a lot of time with Olabel Reed and her whole family. And of course, Olabel's fam Olabel's originally from Lansing, North Carolina, and she and her family moved up to Delaware, Maryland, Pennsylvania area for work, just like a lot of uh, people did from the South. And she 
uh, I think was an amazing role model. Olabel is someone who was steeped in tradition, knew her family's historical music quite well, the ballads and the old tunes. But in her early in her career, she realized that she had her own things she wanted to say yeah. and started writing songs long before the word songwriter or singer-songwriter was really... That wasn't the meaning for her. The meaning was, I got my own things that I want to say. And uh, we spent a lot of time in her kitchen, in her living room, jamming, visiting, uh, soaking up some of her pearls of wisdom, hanging out. And uh, Olabel took care of anybody who walked in the door. Mm. You know, she took in more kids and more strays and more people who needed a bowl of soup and yeah. uh, really a wonderful, wonderful person. Mm. So when the community of Lansing, North Carolina wanted to do an Olabel Reed Homecoming Festival, they called us for some help and to participate. And through that, we made tons of friends all over that northwestern area of North Carolina. And that led us eventually to uh, buying some land and building a house down there and helping that festival go on for a while. And although that festival's finished now, uh, we're working with the Ash County North Carolina Arts Council with an Olabel Reed songwriting retreat and uh, looking for different ways to both honor Olabel and keep her legacy going. And uh, we've had a lot of young people come through that songwriting retreat. Um, one of the bands that we've become totally enamored with in um, northwestern North Carolina is a bluegrass band called Cane Mill Road, and uh, I produced their first album when they were, uh, I guess they were about 14 and 18 yeah. and 19, something like that. You know, this, this new crop of whiz-bang, amazing young players who have lit the fire, mm. and um, the... I don't know if I would call him the leader of the band, but one of the primary forces of the band is a 16-year-old by the name of Liam Purcell. He plays the banjo, the fiddle. He plays claw hammer and bluegrass banjo, fiddle, all different styles of guitar, mandolin, dobro. I've been mentoring him in recording and engineering and producing, and together we're producing an album by a young woman in Raleigh, North Carolina, named Eliza Meyer, who has an amazing old-time country voice. There's no Carter family song that she hasn't learned. Mm. Plus, she's kind of doing all the classics of Patsy Montana, Patsy Cline, that whole era. And we're all having a blast together. And um, it's just, you know, it's super fun for us to watch people grow up with music that they love to play and they love to enjoy. Marcy's been mentoring a, a good handful of young people in the ukulele world for several years. But also, uh, earlier than that, we both did instructional projects, too, as part of our children's music. Yes. So children's music has been a big part of what we love to do. Um, that is what you have your two Grammys in, right? Yes. <laughs> I feel like I kind of buried the lean. It <laughs> is. My first it Grammy is. award winning yeah. guess, I think. Well, I don't know. Got, we have 14 Grammy nominations oh and two <laughs> Grammys in kids' music. And the nominations also. are in um, kids' music and in folk 
Yeah. Yeah. And a couple of them are for producing other people's albums sure, as well. Sure. But where I was going with that wasn't the Grammys, although that's yeah. a really I wanted wonderful to, to thing. Put a, yeah. Let's Thank talk you about for it. throwing that in. Yes. It is, you know, it's hard Notable. to figure out what to do with them because they're big and heavy. You can't make them into earrings or anything like that. <laughs> uh, but uh, the first instructional project that I did was for Homespun, for Happy and Jane Traum, called Kids Guitar. Kids Guitar. And part of our dream with making that happen was to get kids and parents playing together. Um, and it really did beautifully. It was a big seller for them for a long time. And at the end of the video, I would say, uh, so when you see us at a festival or a concert, bring your guitar and we'll play a tune. So we'd be at Merle Fest or some big festival, and yeah. we'd see this little kid with a big smile on their face and a guitar Found coming you. towards <laughs> <Yeah>. us. <laughs> Absolutely. And then we did kids' ukulele, and Kathy's done a lot of instructional stuff on banjo. But all that is to really be able to reach out further than the people sitting right in front of us. Which, I mean, it's best to learn from somebody sitting right sure. in front of you, but with the technology, we can reach out further and they can find, people can find what they're looking for. Yeah, and use that as a stepping stone to yeah. building relationships. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Teaching has been a big piece of uh, what we've been interested in and what we've been doing for a long time. We run a big ukulele festival in uh, North Bethesda, Maryland. We're going into our 11th year of the Strathmore Uke Fest. And we have had, actually, I love this, our youngest Uke Fest student was four years old. Yeah. And <laughs> Great. she came for a couple of years. She was very obsessed by the ukulele, and she still plays it quite well. But she moved on to Irish fiddle, and she's... Now 11, she's a killer Irish fiddler, and her, you know, playing the ukulele and learning along with Marcy and Ginger the dog on these old DVDs was <laughs> the basis of her, oh, you know, musical You work on timing and background. that your fingers have to do something specific and all that, and then just carry it on to whatever they want to do. And one super fun thing about um, the whole ukulele scene is that we have little kids like Alice at the age of four playing with people up in their 80s and they're just you know the common ground is that little ukulele and it's really awesome and speaking of old timers marcy uh studied some with roy smeck the master of the ukulele from vaudeville days and ukulele um, tenor banjo hawaiian slide guitar okay. steel guitar he played everything yeah, so, you know, at the same time as we try to put a lot of effort and energy into mentoring other people, we've also taken every opportunity we could to meet people who influenced our music. Yeah. And, you know, that led us to hanging out with Pete Seeger, hanging out with Mike Seeger. We're good friends with Alice Gerard. She's teaching at the Olabel Song School um, with... Uh, spending time with Olabel and Patsy Montana and uh, Lily Mae Ledford of the Coon yeah. Creek Girls. I got the great pleasure of interviewing Lily Mae for a television show that David Holt had many years ago called Fire on the Mountain. And we yes. went to the Renfro Valley Barn Dance, and that's where I interviewed Lily Mae. And, so cool. Um, 44 Gun is... One of the best songs, <laughs> her, her performance. <laughs> yeah. <there>. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lily May again. It gets you. you know what an amazing person, and all of these people have you know incredible mm -hmm. stories. There was a woman that uh, we met at the Highlander Center in uh, Newmarket, Tennessee. Um, 
named Lois Short, and Lois ended up coming to a handful of festivals and a handful of um, Augusta Heritage weeks that we worked at, and uh, Lois was one of those people who, it's not an uncommon story, for whatever reasons, her banjo went under the bed for 50 years, yeah. you know. It was against the religion, or her husband didn't like it, or yeah. whatever, and all of a sudden, the people from Apple Shop are knocking on doors saying, anybody here play the banjo? Well, I got one under my bed. And they get her out, and she's playing again. And we, I mean, she's not alive anymore. But those, those people influenced us yeah. a lot. And most of them enjoyed that combination of the old and the new. I remember yeah. this amazing jam session I had with um, Lois Short at the Highlander Center, which is the place where Rosa Parks went for workshops about you know six weeks before she wouldn't sit in the back of the bus. It's where Martin Luther King Jr. went for workshops, and mm. I was at some you know cultural event there, and Lois Short was there, and. Uh, we stayed up all night long playing Carter family songs with her playing the banjo and me playing the button accordion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that and sounds like a good time. That was a great to me. time. <laughs> you know, and, and I think what we found is just so much beautiful open-mindedness where, where the, the heartbeat of tradition gets entwined with what we want to do with it. Yeah. Heartbeat of tradition gets entwined with intention. And, you know, to me, that's a lot of what Ola Bell Reed stood for. It's why her music is so important. But then it's also why, um, why I feel like somebody like Rhiannon Giddens or Kaya Cater are resonating with so many people right now because they've got, you know, they've got hands on both sides. Yeah. And um, you're honoring the past, you're taking it somewhere. That's a great thing. And there, that's one of the things that's sort of central, I think, to what we try to do. There's a disturbing trend in this music of um, people who, who want to use it to sort of escape. The, the, thing, <laughs> the number one thing that bothers me is uh, the like older men on uh the internet who say like oh who make jokes about like oh i'm playing the banjo and like when i don't want to listen to my wife or things like that <laughs> you know it's like the people talking like this and they're like using the banjo as sort of this like right um they're they're making fun of it and themselves but in this weird sort of empowering you're like, hanging out in the wrong chat rooms <laughs> I'm trying to stay out of my bubble, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean it's 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 on you know all the all the banjo groups on Facebook and things like well, that. Well, and that's but, been going on forever. That's, of course, it's part of the old stage pattern from the '40s or '50s to yes, you know. Uh, I understand I the tradition of it. it. Yes, but uh, it, I th I feel it gets it gets used as um, you know traditional music is like to them is this thing that exists before right and it's about things that don't matter now and then there are people who are saying no these are these traditions are relevant right now you know like what are we talking about when we're singing murder ballads right like, you know what are right. we talking about when we um play these minstrel tunes you know right. like should we be exactly. in, in like um 
reclaiming and uh, recanonizing the music. And, right. Yeah. We're rewriting well, like, a bunch of those murder ballads, by the way. We have a whole right. new version of Darling Corey, and we have a whole new version of Pretty Polly. And in Pretty Polly, you know, the thing about these murder ballads is they usually, usually the woman gets killed because the guy knocked her up and doesn't want to admit that he got her pregnant. And sure. It's a mess, and so he just figures, well, if I get rid of her, then nobody has to deal with that. And uh, so in Pretty Polly, there they are on his steed white horse, and she's behind him, and he, she starts noticing that it's probably not going the way that she thought it was going to be going, and they stop next to his gravesite that he dug to throw her into, but yeah. she notices, and she whacks him on the head, and he falls in the grave, breaks his neck, is never heard from again. She runs off and has the baby and lives happily ever after with her female partner. Great. <laughs> <laughs> it's the new pretty Polly. It's We're a like, better story. <laughs> it's a be so we can keep the old story on which to build the new story, which is why is it in these stories that the women always get messed up, you know? Yeah. So we also rewrote Darling Corey because... In our version, she escapes. Yeah. You know, the the, the revenue officers don't get her. She gets her banjo. She leaves town. He gets in a little bit of trouble, and everybody lives happily ever after, except they're no longer together. But, you know, yeah. but there's you can't always have it all. been primitive attitudes and sexism in music, just like there has been in the world. Yeah. But we're lucky enough, Kathy and I are really lucky enough to be old enough to have known a bunch of the old people that now are legendary. And they were not judgmental against mm. other... Like Olabel once, an example is, she went to New York, and the people hosting her took her to Central Park. Well, she didn't want to go to Central Park. She wanted to walk around the streets of New York and talk to people yeah. and tell them that they're all God's children and yeah. God loves them, and so she loves them too. Huh. You know, and, and uh, people sometimes... You know, there's a, a stereotype in, in bluegrass and old-time music that you know people who are coming into the scene sometimes meet with negative vibes or yeah uh, and and what I usually tell them because what I usually tell them is just to go find some better musicians <laughs> because usually the better the musician the more they're listening to other people yeah. and responding to other people and they're more open-minded because they have influences from more places so that's my advice. And to they want to bring people into the music as opposed to drive them away. Right. That's a lovely uh, correlation that, <laughs> that I, yeah, I think I, for the most part, agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> this is about making people feel included and making people feel like they're part of a community as opposed to showing off or, you know, excluding people. And I think it's one of the challenges. I mean, when you talk about real challenges in the community sometimes it blows me away that people go to old-time conventions like clifftop and and some of the others and they park near their neighbors that they play music with at home and they circle up in these tight circles with the people that they play music yeah. with at home and uh i i feel like for me yeah, I want to hang with my friends. Yes. I, I, but my goal every time I go to those places is I have to meet at least two new people that I really connect with that I want to play good music with. That's a great and, goal. Um, and I've, I feel like I've managed to do that. 
at most of these things. Yeah. And um, that's my, you know, that's the takeaway is cool. I got to hear somebody play something like I've never heard before. Or um, last year, about half of my clifftop was spent playing in these multiple banjo jams, just like we're doing now. Yeah. And we had somebody on tenor banjo and me on a Will Fielding six string that has a high six string. So it has... Oh, very good. So straight, yeah. High six string and five, and a lower, a string that's lower than the current banjo fourth. Yeah. And then somebody else on a five string. And, yeah. and, you know, we just made a whole new sound based on tradition. Yes. But it was, it was just super fun. And, um, you know, it's, it's great to connect with old pals, but I'm also always after that new experience. One of my favorite clifftop memories was walking around late at night. I mean, I love to walk around and hear all the different jam sessions in between getting in jam sessions myself. But I walked around and I saw exactly what Kathy said, you know, little tight groups. And then there was this one tent and I was standing in the back. I didn't look in to see if I knew anybody and I didn't. Mm -hmm. And this voice came up behind me and said, do you want to play? Come on in. Everyone's welcome here. We're yeah. the Canadians. Yeah. <laughs> and it was Aaron Marshall. Oh, good. <laughs> but that's the attitude that I yeah. grew up with in yeah. traditional music. Mm. If you want to play, come on. Yeah. So uh, I'm not used to anything else, and uh, I don't think anyone who doesn't want to settle for that should settle for that. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. We got a couple, a couple tunes and songs left. Um, cool. So let's do one, and then let's talk about uh, where, where to buy your um, upwards of fifty albums <laughs> and <laughs> instructional and <laughs> materials, and what's coming up next, and things like that. But, Great. Song or its background at all? I don't. Please. It comes from oh. um, Bessie Jones and the Georgia Sea Island Singers, and um, so maybe you can talk about that, Mars. Or do you want me to talk? That's about, about it? all I know about it. Is that, all right, but why don't you why don't you talk about it? By sure. Uh, we're going to do this great song called Things Are Coming My Way. Some people call it Left Hind Leg. And most people learned it from Bessie Jones, who was the leader of the Georgia Sea Island Singers off the coast of um, South Carolina, the Georgia Sea Islands. And our friends Guy and Candy Carawan during the uh, Civil Rights Movement were in uh, St. John's Island and all over that area doing uh, voter registration and really interesting community work and everywhere that they went associated with the Highlander Center they did a lot of cultural work and got involved in the music of those communities and uh, I met the Georgia Sea Island Singers I think probably around 1978 at the, um, at the Chicago Folk Festival and what a wonderful, vibrant group of people. And it was really that group and Bessie Jones that kept the Gullah language alive. Mm. You know, kids, you've got a four-year-old. Um, there used to be a show on TV called Gullah Gullah Island. Yeah. That's the whole tradition of the Georgia Sea Islands. And um, so this is really a, a fabulous uh, song, another one influenced by one of the great women in uh, in the old music, Bessie Jones, mm. and it's called uh, Things Are Coming My Way. How do you want to start it? Start it with that lick. That's one, what I was gonna two, do. two, one, two, three. <laughs> 
people go to learn more about all of the many, many things that you do? They can uh, go hang out at www.kathymarcy, 
C-A-T-H-Y-M-A-R-C-Y dot com. We've got a calendar there. We've got an email list there. We've got our 47 albums and 50 instructional materials, uh, pictures, bios. Hmm. Send us a nice little note or email. Go to our Facebook page or uh, Instagram, and uh, we love making new friends. Very good. And uh, anything new that's coming up um, or that recent things you want to like shine a spotlight on? I would definitely love to shine a spotlight on uh, the album that we did with Sam Gleaves called Shout and Shine. Sam being one of those amazing young voices steeped both in tradition and in the future. A very rare openly gay man in old time and... uh, folk music, a spectacular songwriter. And, uh, you know, it's kind of fun. We have a, a little trio with him, Fink, Marks, or Gleaves. The mm. Shout and Shine album has done really well, but what's more important to us is we just had a, we had a blast. It was kind of like what we're doing with you right now. We just went in the studio for three days, played songs that we all love. We pushed each other to write some new things. The title song, Shout and Shine, is... Something that I wrote, and it's sort of a almost half bluegrass, half old time. Yeah. Um, but it's the world's uh, first non-denominational, all gender identities welcome gospel song. Great. <laughs> so, and not to point, just point out, Sam, we're openly gay, also. Yes. <laughs> so we are a rainbow trio. Wonderful. <laughs> yeah, Sam calls us the uh, the rainbow rainbow uh, family family band. band or something Very like that, good. but. But that song was specifically written for the uh, Shout and Shine Showcase that is produced by um, the Bluegrass Situation and Pinecone during the International Bluegrass Music Association um, event. And uh, I'm really excited to see the doors opening for um, more diversity. And uh when they invited us to be part of that showcase i the first thing i asked justin hiltner who was our connect there was uh so is there like a theme song or anything and he said nope i said well there will be by next week yeah and that's uh that was sort of the purpose of uh making up that song but We've been performing it both when we tour with Sam and and just as a duo for quite a while now. And um, it's pretty exciting to be part of making all audiences feel welcome. It is. It's going to be, it's already, it's already great for me, but I'm really excited for it to be great for more people that don't look or like me. That's wonderful. Yeah, or don't uh, identify the way that I do. Um, It's going to be so much better. Thank you so much for the work you're doing. (laughs) And the older ideas are dying out. You know, it was much harder than it is now. It's still difficult. There's still a long way to go. But thank you for having that attitude. It's it's, uh, shining through in a bunch of the young musicians coming up. And uh, I'm so happy to see it. Yeah, me too. Can't happen fast enough. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. More people could be having this much fun. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> You're just depriving yourself. I know. Of that's right. True. More wonderful people. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> oh, shoot. Okay. So we got one more, one more tune. Mm-hmm. And we're going to play that Cumberland Gap. We're huh? going to play Cumberland wonderful. Gap. And we're going to uh, create something completely uniquely new to all of us. I'm going to tune my ukulele into a banjo tuning. 
try it? Sure. Hey, if we fall down, we'll just try it again. Kathy and Marcy, thank you so much for being on the show. This has been a hoot. Thank excited you, to play more with you. I've been future. looking forward to this wait. so much, and I look forward to playing more too. Yes. Hire us sometime as your band, you know. Sounds good. <laughs> and vice versa. Yeah. One, two, three, four. Visit KathyMarcy.com to buy all their albums, if you can. I mean, there's like 50, so good luck with that. At least start with Shout and Shine, their album with Sam Gleaves. They also have their shows and workshops listed there, which you should check in case they're coming to your area. And if you follow them on Facebook, you'll be sure to stay up to date with their new shows and projects. If you want to learn how to play like they do, they have lessons with True Fire and Peghead Nation, so check those out too. And everything I just mentioned is linked in the show notes on your podcast app or this episode's Facebook post. 
Thanks again to Elderly Instruments for sharing the show with your customers. You can visit their online store at elderly.com. If you want to hang out with me twice a week, I have another podcast called Think Outside the Box Set. You can find that wherever you get your podcasts or boxset.website. And if you're in the Northeast, don't forget to RSVP on Facebook to my shows with Jake Blunt starting tomorrow. Links in the show notes. That's all for now, friends. Thanks for listening. Come back same time next week to get up in the cool. <laughs>